Like many people, I love Star Wars, A New Hope. A nobody from a nowhere planet taken under the wing of an old man from a, of an all but extinct religious order becomes a means of restoring hope to oppressed peoples under the imperial thumb. It hits on so many classic themes of folk literature, mythology, and religion, especially the hero archetype. For people increasingly starved for any sense of wonder and mystery in their world, or people who are lack hope in a better tomorrow, it resonates in a unique and deep way. The Christian story still resonates with people for many of the same reasons, with the benefit that it is based in historical fact. For instance, at, at nearly every historian agrees that there was a teacher and healer named Jesus from the no-account town of Nazareth, who was baptized by John, led a movement of fellow Galileans, and traveled to Jerusalem where he was crucified on the orders of the Roman governor Pilate. Those, those facts are almost not in dispute historically speaking. However, the Christian story is an inversion of the hero archetype. If Star Wars, Jesus' story ends differently from that of most heroes. If Star Wars were more like Jesus' story, Luke Skywalker would have been shot down over the trenches of the Death Star. End of movie, right? Even the resurrection isn't a big Hollywood happy ending. Jesus, after all, doesn't appear to the world. He even says that he won't in John's Gospel. He doesn't appear to Pilate, to Caiaphas, or to the crowds who clamored for his death. He only appears to a few women, the disciples, James and his other brothers, and we can presume sisters too. a gathering of about 500 persons, and finally, to Paul. It's such a strange story, isn't it, on to base one's hope of a better world. So how can we have faith that Jesus has indeed inaugurated a new world where the old imperial ways of domination and quid pro quo have been swept away, when it seems like those old ways are thriving? What does it mean to have hope? to have true hope, lasting hope. Bless you. <laughs> the church at Rome may have been wondering the same thing. A mixed community of Jews and Gentiles, the church had experienced a rocky, tenuous existence from its genesis. Jews, some of whom were likely Christ followers, had been kicked out of the city under the uh, Emperor Claudius following a series of disturbances between Jews and Greeks. While some returned under the teenage emperor Nero, they may have had an uneasy coexistence with their Gentile neighbors. Even within a church that was supposed to go beyond ethnic and cultural boundaries, Paul is writing to a mixed church that keenly feels its fragility. While widespread persecution had not broken out yet, it would within a decade, there was likely deep suspicion and fear of the regime. How long could they endure? Paul already knows all too well that his faith doesn't exempt him from suffering. 
Paul has endured much. He goes into great detail about it in his letter to the Philippians. Imprisonment, stoning, riots, beatings, hunger, sleepless nights, with more to come. So Paul writes the church out of what he has discovered in his own sufferings. Paul doesn't write, just hang in there, people. God's going to make it all better. Just you wait. He doesn't tell the people to have hope. Rather, he writes of peace with God as a possession that they already already have. Peace with God. Shalom with God. The restoration of a right relationship with God, which is given not out of anything we did do, or that we could possibly do. Paul, in fact, heightens the contrast. He uses some pretty strong language. In fact, we were utterly godless, helpless, hopeless when Christ died for us. We were God's enemies. Paul uses that word. We were enemies of God. Yet Christ's death, the culmination of humanity's rejection of its God and creator, was in fact the moment of our atonement, our at-one-ment with God and with God our creator. When we hated God, God's creatures and God's world, God loved us. God loved you. God loved me. God loved all of your ancestors, everybody who has ever lived. God has loved and loved. God the Son suffered for us. God the Son died for us. And God the Son rose for us. This doesn't mean that suffering magically goes away. It also doesn't mean that governments, corporations, and powerful people aren't going to do what they're going to do. It doesn't mean that we're exempted from disease or addiction or any of the frailties of this life. It does mean that the end to all these sufferings is not eternal death. Rather, it is life given through the love of God poured into our hearts through faith. The end is life. All of that is God's gracious gift. So today is Mother's Day, and I've heard in some conversations with you all, some mothers and fathers too, wondering, Pastor, what about my child? What about my son or my daughter, who isn't a regular member of the church or maybe has walked away entirely? What about them? poignant question, to be sure, one that's filled with pathos and care and love, and one that has come up more than once. Here's what I can offer. Our hope in Christ is not based in anything that people can do. I'm going to say that again. Our hope in Christ is not based in anything that people can possibly do not in their achievements, not in their failures, and certainly not in their capacity to change. 
After all, we know the old joke. How many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I knew someone knew the answer to that. If we have such a hard time changing sometimes, why should we expect others to change so readily? After all, you know, our hope is in the love of God, which is not just our possession, but is given freely to all people. After all, God loves us even when we cannot love God. And God certainly loves our children more than we can love them. Jesus himself quotes Hosea 6.6 in his dialogue with the Pharisees, I desire mercy, that great Hebrew word, chesed, I desire mercy, steadfast love, kindness, and not sacrifice. That's what God desires. Because our hope is rooted in God's love for us, it can never fail. Even when we fail or are disappointed or our lives fall apart, such hope endures. That's true, lasting hope. And in such hope, we can take pride. Again, following on last week's sermon, I know the word pride is problematic. After all, we have a saying here in the upper Midwest, look who's getting too big for their britches. But it's not that kind of pride. Our pride is, again, in the hope we have received through the love of God. Never in ourselves. There are lots of other things to, that we could possibly be prideful about. Plenty of opportunities for misplaced hope. However, our pride and our hope is always and forever in God's love for us and in God's love for all, shown in Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. So when suffering comes, and it is bound to, remember that God loves you more than you can possibly know. God loves us. God loves those whom you love more than you can. And in that love is our true, lasting hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.